I'm Adam Gepke, and this is the Hopeless Wanderer podcast, a new podcast that focuses on fans around the UK learning from their fascinating opinions and stories. In this episode, I had a chat with James Graham. James works in the telecommunications industry and in his spare time supports Millsborough, but he also runs the hugely successful DC United UK fan group. Before asking more about his association with DC United, I asked James how he first became a Millsborough fan. Let's start off with how did you become a Middlesbrough fan? So, firstly, with the borough side of things, it was back in the, uh, would it have been 1992? Yeah, it would have been because it was my fourth birthday. Um, that was the first game that I ever went to. So it was Middlesbrough versus Oxford United, back in the days when they were doing okay in the Football League. And I think if I remember rightly, we won 4-2, so that was at Ayrson Park. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was those were good old days, those ones, back in the stands where you were actually standing <laughs> and that was allowed in the in yeah. the higher tees of the Football League. But now you've got to sit down and keep comfortable, really. But no, that was my first ever game that I ever went to. And that's kind of why I became a Middlesbrough fan. And used to be season ticket older uh, when I was living up there. But now, now that I live in the southwest of England, it's a bit more difficult. Mm, I was going to say, it's a bit of a trek for you, right? So, um, yeah. I mean, just just going back to that point, so you're at Ayrson Park. So yep. what does the Riverside compare? Like, obviously, brand spanking, brand new stadium. I mean, yeah, how does that compare? Yeah, so Ayrson Park was old. It was rickety. It stood the test of time. Mm. Back in, even hosted um, North Korea at the 1966 World Cup over here in England. Mm. And the Riverside, it was met with this whole new era for the football club. So back in 1986, the club went into liquidation. I was about to go into liquidation, so it was going to become mm-hmm. no more. The keys to Weston Park were locked up. Steve Gibson comes in and buys the club, gets us their keys back. And it was kind of a new era from that point. But to cement that, we brought in the Riverside because we were promoted to the Premier yeah. League um, in the 95-96 season. Granted, we had already had a season in the Premier League when it first came in, but we brought in Brian Robson the season before, I think it was. Mm. And that's what got us promoted. And the Riverside itself, it's Fortress Riverside at the end of the day. It's seen many games. It's seen some absolutely fantastic European nights over the years. Mm. And to me, it's when I was at Living up north, it was a home away from home. Mm. That's the best way I can describe it. People used to sit next to, you'd speak to them. They were like family um, in essence. And that that was something I always enjoyed going to do and going to see was my, mm. my football family. And yeah. those were the good days. Obviously, like I said, I don't get to see that anymore now. Um, I've actually only been to one game since moving down which is now over a decade yeah and that was that was a good game though that was uh Millsborough mm. versus Hull on Boxing Day we won 2-0 and those are the days where we, I think we had Gordon Strachan or uh, Tony Mowbray had just wow. recently come in and the crowds were like generally speaking 14 15,000 which is if you've been to a 35,000 seat stadium you know that's empty 
And for that game, it was 28,000. So I was like, what's wrong? It's great <laughs> atmosphere. I don't know what everyone's complaining about, but we won 2 0, and yeah, it was fantastic. But yeah, only one game since the last 10 years, which, which pains me, unfortunately. But you watch them from afar. So oh, I yeah. suppose at least it's one of those things that you can proudly sort of say, look, this is my club. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, I mean, every time they're on telly, you've got, I've got to watch them. Yeah, why yeah. not? Exactly. So, so yeah, let's go back a bit. So mm-hmm. you mentioned about that season you got promoted. And I suppose for me, that was kind of where I got to know Millsborough a bit more. I suppose, I think it was a Premier League Merlin sticker collection of what I say. That was my first <laughs> oh, ever wow. time of knowing we're about going back a bit, huh? So we're talking about um I think we had Nicky Barnby playing for you yes. guys, John Hendry up front. Yep. Um trying to think who was at the back. It was before Colin Cooper joined. So I wanna say Who's just been oh, sacked from what test, testing my uh knowledge here, but I know. I want to say you had players like Gary Walsh as your goalkeeper. I yes. remember that much. Mark Schwarzer. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking of some real characters. Classic, classic players. Days. Classic players. Um, what do you recall of those days? I mean, they seem to be like the buzz years for like Millsborough because, like you said, fresh in a brand new stadium. Um, team was on the up. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, even this was before the Euro. Like adventure, I suppose. So yeah, yeah. What what do you recall of those days? So those those days were, I don't want to say they were seen as the golden era, mm. but it was definitely up there. The football was entertaining. We had in the ninety five ninety six season, as you rightly said, we had Dickie Barnby. Um, at the back, we had Nigel Pearson. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Yes, I know you said it, but yeah, it just went off my head. So. Nigel Pearson, Steve Vickers. Robbie yes. Musto at the heart of the midfield. And then we uh, we brought in little old Janino. Mm, the legends, I assume, in your eyes. Yeah, he is. I don't, we'll talk about that, yeah. I'd imagine, in a bit. But he's definitely the best player I've ever seen. Um, and there were, there were some great games. I remember the, the kind of the first game of the season when we were playing Chelsea. And it was a 2-2 draw. And I remember Craig Hignett scoring the goal as well. And the atmosphere was just absolutely electric. So I'm there. I think we were sat in the... I think we were in the southwest, southwest stand. Is that behind the goal? Uh, it would have... Or was it the southeast corner? It was one of the south... It was in the south stand. It was in one of the corners. Mm. Um, it would have been the southeast because the southwest corner hadn't been built at that time. Um and yeah, it was twenty five thousand seater stadium at that point, so it wasn't as big as it is now. Mm. But yeah, the atmosphere was electric. There was just a whole excitement to the new season. Chelsea, obviously, a big team, not quite as big as they are now, but still, obviously, a big team back in those days. Mm. And the fact that we were able to get our first points on the board, it was just awesome. And the games, Yanaga Fjortoft. Yes, of course. Current pundit over in the Bundesliga. He's he was awesome. And I can go on about the following season, the 96-97 season, when we signed Ravinelli. We had Emerson. And we just ended up signing loads of South we sat South American talent. Like we had Branca, who was awful. Yes. Um <laughs> And I'm trying to I'm trying to remember who else. I think 
Yeah, as you rightly said, Mark Schwartz, yeah. Gary Walsh. We've had some great players over the years. And that, that yeah, those I can only look back on those days with with fondness. And mm. Viv Anderson is our assistant manager. Yes, of course. So that's the Man United connection, wasn't it? Exactly. Brian Brian Robson and Viv Anderson, the Man United connection, and I think that truly did help us. Yeah, it's this is it, and I, that's the point I was going to move on to is how I admire Steve Gibson from a distance. Now he mm. seems to provide so much support for you in terms of the hours he puts into the club, yep. uh, unequivocal financial backing as well. So he doesn't seem to. Obviously, in recent years, I think it sounds like he's started to become a bit more savvy with that. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm speaking from like back sort of seat, I suppose, and yeah, sort yeah. Of seeing it from a distance. And yeah, how how do Middlesbrough fans kind of generally view him? And what about your opinions on him? Because like you've said at the beginning of the intro, you said how he kind of saved you guys. So um, yeah, is that feeling still there? I mean, yeah, I mean, from afar, he's doing yeah. some great stuff. I think there's, over the most recent years, there's been a lot more... Um, how am I going to put this nicely? Mixed emotions mm. about it because it seems that recently he's had a lot more misses than he's had hits. Back in the 90s and the early 2000s, mm. everything seemed to go right. Granted, there's a few odd transfers, but mm. every club has that. Yeah, Scouting goes wrong sometimes and it's just one of those things. But since like 2010 onwards, it's been a bit downhill. Obviously, we've not been in the Premier League that often over the last decade, one season. Mm. And from that, the money becomes a lot more tighter, on which Steve Gibson has learned how to do that. And you look at over the last few seasons, we've had to let go of some, some big players. We had that big push a couple of seasons ago after we just got relegated because we still had the parachute payments. But now things have really tightened and you look at the types of players that we sign and they're coming from leagues below us rather than from afar, like we, we've all been used to. And I don't think no matter what happens, Steve Gibson will always be looked on fondly because he saved mm -hmm. the club. I don't think anyone will deny how great of a man he is. He's got the keys to the city. That's how much of a legend this guy is in the town mm. and yeah, nothing that anything can happen you'll still be remembered as a legend it's just i think over the last few recent years things have gotten a little bit more sour and i think that mm. some of the decisions that he's made haven't been quite to what fans have been wanting yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, hmm. like you say, he's put a lot of trust into the unknown in certain respects in the past, and they've come out really well. Yep. And on the flip side, I, I think of Tony Poulis, for example. Everyone hated that era of football, but then when you compare it to Woodgate, um, which was yeah. the up-and-coming young sort of manager or coach, um, yep. seems to be doing some good things by all Accords in the youth and reserve team, I believe. Um, yeah, and it for whatever reason, it just never like transitioned to the first team. I mean, he seemed yeah. to be going into was it December? He had a really good run with results, 
And then it suddenly just went downhill from there, where you were almost on the cusp of like a re- where you were in a relegation dogfight, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, that that was it. The second half of the season was a relegation battle. Um, one of I mean, one of the big things is we got hit with quite a few injuries, so that's never going to help. And when you have a bit of an injury crisis as a brand new manager, you kind of think, right, I need to tinker around and make things fit. And we ended up playing two of our central midfielders in defense because we just had no defenders. When you're having to do that, you put in square pegs and round holes. It's just not, it's not going to work. And it was just, it was, it was tough for him. And I feel genuinely feel sorry for him because if he didn't have that injury crisis, I think we could have made the playoffs. But when you've got the likes of Dale Fry being out injured, Daniel Danny Ayala being out injured for most of the season, George Friend, there's three defenders, our three main defenders, mm. being out for the majority of the season. It just, it was never going to work out for him, unfortunately. He promised this brand of exciting attacking football. And then the first game we played Luton Town and it, it went out with a strong 4-3-3 formation it looked great, and Lewis Wing scored an absolute belter. But it just it didn't happen. He's changing formation every other week, changing lineups. There was just no consistency, and when you don't have the consistency in the lineup, players I reckon lose trust in the manager because they don't know whether they're coming or going. You can't build up any form. It just it was just a vicious cycle for him. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but unfortunately, these things sometimes just don't work. Yeah. There's no explanation. It just doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got to hand it, though, to Gibson. He's got that ability to kind of trust people no matter what. And yeah. I suppose my next point on that Woodgate error is, was there a sense of, like, you guys have been cutting back in terms of what you were doing financially? Because I remember previous years, you wouldn't have that hesitation of buying players for huge sums of money. Um, and it seemed from the outside anyway, certainly, that they weren't going to spend as much as they used to previously. Um, did that play a part in the way you guys panned out last season? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Woodgate is definitely a, the cheap option. It's mm. There was plenty of other managers being linked with the, with the job. Um, I would have gladly have kept Tony Pulis on, but... <laughs> for one reason or another, it just didn't just didn't happen. But yeah, Woodgate was definitely the cheap option. And like I say, you look at some of the signings that we made. There, there's definitely time to the purse strings. Uh, you look at plays that we've released at the end of this season as well. It's it's happening even further. So Adam Clayton's gone. Um, I think he was on twenty grand a week. George Friend has gone. Who's on yeah. roughly sort of similar money. Uh, Danny Ayala's now left. He was on even more. So um, the big wages are slowly going. Uh, Rudy Jested has gone, thankfully. He was... Yeah. Um, I think donkey is probably a kind word, I want to say. Worry, I've seen a few in my past, but yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's one moment from we'll his career. notes on that one. Yeah, there's one moment in the Borough career of Rudy Jested that pains me and we'll yeah talk about that and 
So yes, yeah, so we've really let go of the high wage earners. I think there's only Brett Sombolonga, who's still kind of the big, big earner. It's still left at the club, so there's definitely tight and purse strings. And I think the fact that we've got Neil Warnock, I think he's going to be a great, great manager. I mean, the fact that he saved us at the end of last season from being relegated, because that was a huge worry. The fact that we could be playing Sunderland again, that was a big, big worry. <laughs> um, but we don't have to. I mean, it'd be nice to have a derby match again. Yeah. But I'll I'll I'll, I'll take having one over Sunderland, who were down in League One. Even you've got, got that now. We, yeah, well, that, that, <laughs> I think we've wound them up a few times over the course of the last two years, and I'm sure I'll get a Sunderland fan on here that will tell me why they're so bitter about it. <laughs> Certainly, there's no animosity from our side. Um, but they they really hate us. Um, just for the viewers, I support Wickham Wonders if it wasn't obvious. But um, yeah, I, I can't work it out myself. Um but they've got a real hate relationship for Wickham Wanderers. So um, we'll leave it there because it's all about Middlesbrough <laughs> for now. Let's talk about Middlesbrough. Um, let's move on to something a bit more cheerful. Um, okay. So um, you mentioned it earlier, but your best Middlesbrough player to play for your club. Yeah. And it? I think, think every single Middlesbrough fan will say the exact same player. And it is Janino. He was absolute legendary. The fact that he came back three three times in total, um, says everything about that guy. The fact that he just wants to put on that red and white shirt and do us proud. It, yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. That We've had some great players over the years. I think my if it wasn't Janino, it's a tricky one because it's either going to be one of two players for me. Guys come in Dieta. Wow, yeah, he was a legend. And he still he still lives up in the yeah. north, does he? Yeah, he's, he's still uh, based up there. Yeah, I think he's still based in Yarm. Oh wow! Which is just strange to even think about <laughs> a world player of the earth living in up north of England. It's bizarre. Yeah, especially um, when you consider he came from Valencia, right? Yeah, he could live anywhere in the world, and he chooses the borough. So wasn't yeah. his career path Valencia, Inter Milan, then Millsborough? I we, remember rightly. We got him from Lazio. That's it. Lazio. And yeah, that was I think we had him on, on loan initially. And that was just insane because it was like, cool, mm. we've got a, a great player on loan. And then we signed him on a free transfer. I was like, oh, okay. That As that'll do, do nicely. <laughs> um and if it wasn't him, Fabio Rockenbach. Wow. No, a bit controversial, yeah. I, I want to say, because I don't think many people would say that. But there's that one free kick he scored against Man City in the 8-1 drubbing. <laughs> and I think it was about 30, 35 yards out. And he just pinged it into the top bin top in the top corner. left-hand corner. And I, I was at, obviously at that game. And it oh, was wow. just... Yeah. That was just unbelievable to see that game. 8-1 against Man City. You just... I think they had Sven as the manager, so they had uh, Tax and Shinawatra as their yeah. owner. So they had a bit of money. So they'd signed Alana, that Andreas Isaacson and Skull. And we just took them to the cleaners. Yeah, I remember that game as well. And I remember that goal as well. That's the thing. 
So yeah. regardless of the result, I still remember that goal. And that was from some distance. That was like a 35, 40 yeah. yarder, the kind of thing you see on Football Manager, not really yeah. in real life, right? Yeah, you think that, that that would never happen, but it actually did. And you had to do it down and score on a volley from the outside of his left boot. Afonso Alves somehow scoring. I think he was a sore point, wasn't he, for your history? Yeah, I mean, the, there's a little um, story about how we signed him. Yeah. And so... Was this in the Southgate McLaren era. again? Sorry. No, this is Southgate. Okay. So somehow Southgate got an 8-1 win. Yeah. 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 I mean, when you look at him now, you think, okay, that's actually plausible back, back, back in those then. days. Mm. Yeah. So Afonso Alves was signed because Southgate liked his YouTube clips. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Although it wouldn't surprise me because I heard loads of stories of scouts being quite lazy and relying on things like YouTube for their clips. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that many times. And he was our record transfer, though. Mm. To be relying on YouTube clips and then be the record transfer coming from the Dutch League, which he had a massive reputation mm. for his goal-scoring prowess, which I think was a goal pretty much every single game. Yeah. And then comes over here. And he just just couldn't just couldn't do it. No. He couldn't do it on a cold night in Stoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've had some really poor players over the years to go along with our really good players. Yeah. So I mean, I suppose let's move on to that flip side. Who's been the worst yeah. player for Borough down the years? I mean, I, I uh, can already hear two, definitely two. So we've got Rudy yeah. Gestead. Alfonso yeah. Alves, but I'm sure there's got to be worse players out oh, there, right? Oh yeah, um, Branca um, from the Robbo era. Yeah, uh, he was absolutely awful. Even though he's a World Cup winner, yeah. he was just overweight, just couldn't move. He was just yeah, awful. <laughs> then from another one from the Southgate era, Lee Dong Gook. Okay, and then yes. we signed him just purely from the shirt sale point of view. Yeah, that didn't work out too well, did it? No, he didn't score a single goal for us. And then, as I already mentioned, Afonso Alves, Rudy Gestad. Um, going back to the the Gestad story I was going to go on about. Mm. So there was a game against Swansea, and it was the, th- the second or the last, third last game of the league season. And we needed just to get one win to guarantee safety. One win. And there was this cross that came in. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Downing who whipped it in. And all he had to do was head it back, head it across goal into the far corner when he's got all the time in the world. Well, he has to, he's a big guy. Mm. Jump up, head it, done. No, he tries to volley it. Was that a half volley or like a... Overhead kick. Uh, overhead kick. Yeah. And it's just like, it was nil-nil. I think it was late in the game. It was, I'm sure it was like the 78th, 80th minute. And you're thinking, just, just head it in. Just do the simple thing. Yeah. And then we lost that game. And then we get relegated. And you just think, right, if he just put his head on it and put it in that far corner... We could still be in the Premier League. 
That's the thing, isn't it? I told Karanka could still be in the job. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I will never. I will never forgive him for that. <laughs> it's so. Yeah. I I felt though during that season in particular, Karanka just wasn't ambitious enough up top. No. He was very no, defensive-minded, made sure you didn't lose, and if you did lose, it was by minimal margin. I think you had the least goals conceded, I want to say, for that season as well, like as yeah. a team that had gone down. Um, yeah, yeah. It was I, just... think, I think we had the least goals conceded in the bottom half of the league. Yeah. But we had the worst goals for scoring. Yeah. Um, And when you have someone like Negredo up front, <laughs> yes. you think... You've got that talent up there. We had Downing, who, for as good as his left foot is, has zero pace. Yep. And I think we just signed Adama Triare. Yeah. But Karanka couldn't get the best out of him. That was a weird one. I think it was... Sorry? That was a weird one, wasn't it? How he couldn't get yeah, the best I'm... out of him. Yeah, it was just one of those things. I think he was too raw of a talent uh, for Karanka because, again, he's mm. it was his first club job. I don't think he truly knew how to get the best out of players. Um, so when you've got a raw talent like Adam Trio, who we look at now, is one of the most exciting players on the planet. Yeah. Th- thanks to Tony Pulis. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's true though. Tony Pulis brought him on, and that was a fantastic time to see him at the club. I would never associate those two names together and creating talent, but you've got to no. hand it to him. Yeah, Tony Pulis did an absolutely amazing job with Dharma, and is one of the main reasons why he's as good as he is today. Clearly, but, should be like head of Barcelona right now because they could do with him, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Barcelona. Went and tried to sign him. Well, it sounds like it's Kuman at the moment, doesn't it? But yeah, we'll wait and see well, on that one. I don't think that's we'll going to work see. out very well either, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. never mind. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's that's my worst players. What's your thoughts for this season? Definitely. Do you feel you guys can try and do a promotion push, or would you be happy with mid table this year? Or what's the thoughts? I. As always, with being a Borough fan, the expectation is a promotion push. We feel like we belong in the Premier League. We've got the stadium. We've got we've got the chairman, who's, I want to say, the best chairman in the Football League. Without a shadow of a doubt, he is one of the best. And, yeah, we will be expected promotion push. Warnock has kind of renewed a bit of optimism Mm. with the fans because it's always been a case, whenever we've come up against him, he's always been that kind of manager who we've never really done great against. And he's always been out, and he's publicly said as well that this job is one he's always wanted to do. Yeah. So the fact that he said that in the past, it just kind of hits on that it's... He's there because he wants to be there. He's not there to pick up a paycheck. So, and it was said at the um, end of last season, those last uh, seven or eight games he was in charge of, he didn't pick up a paycheck 
interesting. He he did it for free. Because if we were getting relegated, he didn't want any money. Mm. Now that we stayed up, obviously he's going to get paid for it. But he said if we got relegated, he wasn't picking up any money from it. And I think that says a lot about the man. Yeah, and it probably hasn't been publicised that well, to be fair. I never knew that before you've just said that yeah. now. So um, you've got a f- fair play to him. He's done he's yeah. done amazing. I think, to be fair, though, from what I remember of speaking to a QPR fan during that time when he okay. got them up, they love him down there at Shepherd's Bush. They love yeah. what he did for the club. And he reflected that he's not everyone's cup of tea when it comes to the football style. A bit like a Pulis, yeah. for example. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's got this knack of getting the players together, um, fighting for him. I still remember some YouTube clips of him at Sheffield United where, yeah, yeah. probably some unsavory scenes. Uh, and do you know what? He doesn't care. Again, he's, he's that kind of character. He just does not care. Yeah. For him, it's all about that kind of family around him, getting them all together. And yeah, he just seems to create that buzz amongst those players to play for him. Um, so. Yeah, he's the kind of guy who his style of play will get the job done. Yeah. And you look at the best times and the best results Millsborough have had, which was under the Steve McLaren era. His style of football wasn't great, but he got us through two European seasons, won our first ever trophy through a style of play that was boring. <laughs> but I would take that back in a heartbeat if it meant we were getting those European nights again and winning trophies and things like that. I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. And this is the thing that I'd say if I reflect on Wickham quickly, that's what we love is the fact that you know yeah. what? We're not going to be everyone's favourite cup of tea, but we're in the championship. Who'd have thought like Little or Wickham would be, you know? And I think, yeah. yeah, you've got to say those kind of, what is it that a fan actually wants at the end of the day? Is it success or is it that we play great football? Because, yeah, we can all play great football to an extent. Probably not all of us, but yeah, we try our best, right? Um, but yeah. yeah, you want that glory at the end of the day. I'm sure every player just says they want to be known for those cup finals that they've been in they've won games those great nights like you said I mean Millsborough did some amazing comebacks I seem to remember as well it wasn't just getting along the way it was those comebacks that made I mean Massimo Macaroni comes to mind when I'm thinking of these comebacks Uh, folklore legend (laughs) what a name as well but more to the point Yeah. yeah just seems to have that knack doesn't he neil warnock yeah he seems to do it um and it'll be interesting to see how you guys pair or compare to the other teams because there's going to be so much money potentially still spent amongst those championship clubs and we're not even at the cusp of it right now i think there's going to be a lot of business still to be taking place right now so absolutely interesting to see how it goes um but yeah, yeah just quickly moving on what has been your best moment as a Millsborough fan? I mean, you've reflected on so many, right? But Yeah. I mean, obviously, as I said, the the opening of the Riverside as a club, that was great. We've had we've had heartache in the cup finals. I know that sounds a bit weird saying that was a great moment, but 
me personally, going to the old Wembley Stadium, mm. that was something else. That that ground was just the history behind it. Yeah. You could just feel it as you went in. The old Wembley Way, oh, seeing the Twin Towers. Just think that no one else now will ever see that. And I've seen that three times. It's just kind of, it just puts, makes your hair stand up on the on the back of your arms and things like that. Um, but the greatest moment has to be the cup final win. Mm. Um, and there is a little story behind that as well. So my niece um, was uh, due to be born on the day of the cup final. She was. 12 days late okay but so one of our um friends who i used to play golf with and was very good friends with steve gibson okay and we had the opportunity to go in one of the boxes at the millennium stadium wow and get there and obviously looking in hindsight we would have been there with the trophy as well (laughs) And we had to turn it down because my sister was due to give birth on the day, which would have been, which was her first child. And yeah, I didn't get to go and we won. And my sister was 12 week, 12 days late with my niece. Absolutely gutted about that. But you yeah. know what? We won the trophy. Niece is great. Oh, that's a side thing, but you know, um, and it yeah that's the greatest greatest moment as a club i mean as i've mentioned before the european nights as you mentioned the comebacks but thankfully i was there for, for to see those in person as well those are just absolutely biblical and you see the basel one the stower bucharest one i watch those regularly back on youtube because mm. the the commentator at the time Alistair Brownlee, who's no longer with us. Um, it was just his passion. Uh, and it's just like, he's using analogies like David versus Goliath, mm. lightning striking twice. Oh, just Massimo Macaroni, diving header against, uh, St- that would have been the FC Basel one. Yeah. And, oh, the, the, it just, it's difficult to put into words how good of moments they were, but they were just unbelievable. As per the intro, James runs the hugely successful DC United UK fan club and is already in his second season of the podcast. Not only did James reflect on this, but also the MLS in general. I asked James, how did this attraction for DC United first start? So this is, there's two main reasons why I'm a DC United fan. So first one, back in, going back to the 95-96 season, we had a Bolivian player called Jaime Moreno, who we sold at the end of that season to DC United from the borough. And that was kind of my intro into, oh, there's actually soccer in the States. So you, you'll now hear me, now we're talking DC United, you'll hear me move away from the word football into the word soccer. It's yeah, soccer, yeah. And so that kind of, yeah, that drew me into the fact that there was a club out there. And then in 2004, so a bit of a time jump, 
and a little known wonder kid, as we all know from the football manager game, uh, Freddie Adu came along and I was like, and he signed for DC United. He was the first, he was the youngest uh, player to get a pro contract. And at that time, he was the mm. highest paid player in Major League Soccer as a 14 year old, yeah. which was just insane. Insane. And so that kind of drew me in. Obviously, football manager, I've played that since the early championship manager days. I think I started playing that on championship manager two or three. So, being playing it, and I still play it to this day. And I started managing DC United on there, and that's kind of grew from it. And obviously, Freddie Adu, big name. I spent most of my time at college watching clips on online because, I mean, that was difficult in those days when you just had basic broadband mm. compared to what we've got now. And then 2015, again, another bit of a time jump, Sky Sports win the rights to show Major League Soccer in the UK. So then I was able to watch it on TV without any problems. And it just kind of grew from there and then managed to go off to the States, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. And it's just kind of grew from there. And then the podcast came about last year. So there's another um, another podcast that I know called the MLS UK Show. So they're two guys who, one of them sports Norwich City, the other sports Bolton Wanderers. Um, and they decided to go to Major League Soccer and they decided to do a podcast because they run a radio show, a national radio. Well, it's a, a, a big, big show that they do. Yeah. And so I've done podcasts in the past before. I was like, you know what? I could do this. So I started doing the DC United one. And then it's just kind of gone from there. Now it's part of what's called the Support Content Creator Network, which is officially done by the football club sorry the soccer club and it's nice to actually have like a proper endorsement by dc united yeah i was gonna say it's blossomed into this kind of bigger thing now um we said just before we actually recorded was how much of a kind of feeling and connect you're getting with dc united now because you've done the podcast but the guests that you've had on the show have been like you know, I, I wouldn't dream of like having that for my second season of podcast, let alone the first. But you've managed to somehow do it. So um, it's that connection uh, that you seem to get with the club is infectious. And I think that kind of is amazing to see. Yeah, the club has been fantastic. And I remember starting kind of the first communications that I had with them. So I had... Um, the kind of the first person from the club that I had on the show, not a, f- a player, but I had the sports commentator, uh, Dave Johnson, who was my first kind of proper DC United guest. He was absolutely fantastic. And then from that, I was able to then interview um, a guy called Rory Mueda, who at the time was the player care manager. And he was officially in charge of looking after Wayne Rooney. So that was okay. a fantastic interview to have to be able to gain insight into how how it works out there, but also to get to know Wayne Rooney a little bit more from another person's point of view. Mm. And then he actually put me in touch with the communications team who look after 
like the press releases and all that jazz. And I speak to them on a regular, literally on a weekly basis now um, about getting players onto the show and getting content and things like that. And now it's been pretty much a new player on weekly on my show. And it's just, they've been fantastic. They love what we, what I do. And the fact that I'm yeah. trying to bring DC United to a bigger audience. And that's, it, it was, it's trying to gain more support for the club because major league soccer is a league on the rise. There's some great mm. talent out there and I'm excited to be a part of that. Definitely. And I think you've definitely brought it to life a lot more. I mean, I've changed a few of my opinions of the MLS, I think, off the back of your shows, I think. And it's just that, like you've already reiterated, the talent is coming through. Um, where it used to be, I don't want to sound too harsh, but it was kind of viewed as a joke league sometimes in the past, or the retirement league yeah. in the early 80s, I think, or even probably further back, to be fair, because you had the likes of Pele kind of playing for Colorado Cosmo, is it? I can't remember. If uh, New York Cosmos, he there. played for. Um, yeah. So this, those are the days before even Major League Soccer even existed. So those days. Now, this is where I'm really testing my American soccer knowledge. So that would have been the North American Soccer League, um, where it was just viewed as a league where old pros went to gain their last mm. paycheck so Pele was out there you had uh, Franz Beckenbauer um, George Best out there uh, Jack Charlton went out there as well I'm yeah. trying to remember who else has been out well I'm going to put my Polish football knowledge here on the yeah. plate Kazimierz Dania now he was a amazing player from the 70s now yeah I know you're looking at my, oh, I mean, my, you, my Denia, facial expression says it all Denia, doesn't it Denia, went to America um, and it was kind of unknown then because Poland was a Soviet kind of controlled country at the time. Yep. And yeah, for a player to go to abroad, let alone America was kind of a big thing, but he was a hugely talented footballer that unfortunately died really early, oh. died in a car crash. Um, I'll flip it but yeah, um, amazing talent. If you ever YouTube him, he was, yeah, a really talented player. So, um, but yeah, as you've kind of reiterated, so many talented players went to MLS as well towards the yeah. end of their careers. And yeah, thinking about that, who are the real legends of DC United? Because I think it's kind of been widely associated with Wayne Rooney of recent times. And yeah. as you previously stated, Adu. Um, but yeah, who are the real legends of DC United? So the big one is Jaime Moreno. So He's the all-time leading goal scorer for DC United. He didn't do much when he was at the Borough, um, which is a shame because when you look at um, what he did over at DC, he was just incredible. He did spend a season at our big, big rivals, the New Jersey Metro Stars, for one season. Had a major injury, didn't work out for him, so he came back and somehow we still love him. Um, Marco Echeverri is another... A guy who played at the same time as uh, Jaime Moreno, also from Bolivia as well, um, known as El Diablo, because he was a devil. Uh, the way he could control the ball, he if he was playing in the UK, he played in the EPL, he would have absolutely dominated. He was that good of a player. You've had Ben Olsen, who's the current head coach, um, who, again, 
he actually spent time over here in the UK. He spent yeah. um, Nottingham Forest. He did indeed. I broke his ankle. Um, he he was actually, on your show as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he, told, he actually told me about that story, um, how he broke his ankle. And then the Boxing Day game uh, where he brought his father across. He was not happy about that because he had an absolute sitter. Well, he had an awful game, Mr. Sitter, and he uh, scored an on goal. <laughs> As he do. Yeah, when your dad, your dad's come over, watched your first game in the England, scored an on goal. <laughs> and who else we've had over the years? So, yeah, Wayne Rooney was a, obviously a legend just as himself, mm. but he did, when he came over, he really reinvigorated the team. Um, So, yeah, Jaime Moreno, Marco Echeverri, Rooney, I do in a in a sense because he brought the mm. club to another level in terms of its um, reputation. Yeah. Then you're looking at Bill Hamid, uh, home homegrown legend. Uh, again, he spent time over in Europe. Didn't quite work out for him. Just didn't get a chance in the first team because he didn't get the opportunity. Mm. Um. Andy Nahar, another homegrown. And there's quite a few players who we've had through the years who are homegrowns. Mm. And that's the kind of big thing that is a was what DC's about now. You've got our new B team called Loudon United, who we're using as our homegrown team. So all the players who come through the academy tend to start there and yeah. then work their way into the first team. So um, again, as you mentioned, you saw Griffin Yeo on the show um, mm. last week. He His first game was at Loudoun United, and he's worked his way up. Same with Kevin Paredes um, and Moses Nyman, who's another, I think he's only 15. Uh, but he's, he's in and around the first team squad now, so it's just crazy. But we're working on it, and it's yeah, it's awesome to see that. And yeah. So uh, back to the legends, insane. we've had we've had some great players. Lucho Acosta, another one off the top of my head, mm. who scored was part of that wonder goal against Orlando in twenty eighteen. If yeah, if you've not seen that, you need to just literally look up DC United that goal, okay. and it'll be the first result. It's just such an amazing thing to kind of describe it in a way. It's basically two two. It's the 93rd minute. Our keeper, David Ousted, decides to go up for the corner. It's just to reiterate, it was 2-2. We weren't losing. <laughs> Everyone's like, what the heck? And what are you doing? But no, 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 the ball comes in. It gets cleared out. So Orlando City go on the attack and it's like, right, okay, they've got an open goal. Great, we've lost this. Wayne Rooney, you've never seen him sprint so fast. I've never seen him sprint. No, I was going to say, yeah. But he makes a run from the edge of the box to the halfway line, catches up the Orlando player, tackles him to stop the goal. It was a sly tackle as well. It was a sly tackle. Sly tackle. Wins that ball. Then he's like, no, I've not done. (laughs) Runs up the pitch. Here's Lucho Costa, who is five foot three. Pings this crossfield ball into the box. Lucho Costa leaps like a salmon, nods it over the top of the keeper to win the game 3-2 for his hat-trick as well. And it's just, you just see the 
absolute scene. Arms all over the place. Beer's being thrown. Limbs all over the place. Right? Yeah, absolute limbs. And it's just... <laughs> it was just insane. And then it went to VAR. <laughs> just to kind of take the sting out of it. Just like, why? And the VAR just like, you see the the whole uh, yeah. monitor goal. And it's just like... Oh. Relief. Yeah. It was and Orlando hate us now. A bit Absolutely. like Sunderland with Wickham, right? Yeah, and it was <laughs> yeah. it was the Wayne Rooney effect in full flow um, against Orlando. Wayne Rooney did another David Beckham esque thing the following season and um scores from his own half against Orlando. Yep. <laughs> that yeah. was that was something else and I, the big thing about that. Is I remember going out for a meal the following day, and all I hear is Dave Johnson, the commentator, and I'm like, I'm out for a meal. I can hear Dave Johnson. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> and I look over, and there's this kid watching the goal. And I'm like, that is the Wayne Rooney effect. Mm. That getting DC United on in the UK over here, it's. That's that's what I was hoping to see and happen, and it did. And it's just awesome. Let's sort of dissect the MLS a bit. So I suppose yeah. I've always seen it as an experimental league, not afraid to try and do different things. It's never mm. always gone right for them, I suppose, in some respects. Um, some yeah. of the concepts have been very out there, very franchise-esque, should we say? Yes, that that's yeah. it. That, it is a fran- franchise league. Um, what do you think is the good points of what the MLS have introduced as a result of it? But then on the flip side, what have been the absolutely terrible moments that you don't want to recall, but you're going to recall them because we're on the podcast now? So, good bits. Um, I really enjoy the fact that there's a salary cap in that league. Mm. I love that. You've got I think at the moment it's £63,000 per week you're allowed to spend on your squad, which isn't a lot of no. money, is it? When you compare it to the Premier League, where that's probably gets you a middle-of-the-table kind of player. Yeah. Now. So the fact that you've got that limit, but to kind of get around that and to bring in the really, really good players, you have what's called their designated players. And uh, they only count towards seven and a half thousand pounds towards the cap, but their wage can be unlimited. Mm. So that's how we were able to sign the likes of Wayne Rooney, how LA Galaxy were able to afford Zlatan, Basti Schweinsteiger mm. over at Chicago Fire, that Carlos Vela at LAFC. So, yeah, mm. so the big players, that's how clubs are able to afford them. Um, then you. So the salary cap is one of those big things. I think every, I, I wish every league did it because it limits on how much clubs are spending. So they're not overspending beyond that means. You don't ever see an MLS club in financial trouble yeah. because it just, it, because they're not wasting money on wages that they don't need to. And I think the Premier League could do with that massively i don't know if that will ever happen i don't think it will but yeah it's one of the things i absolutely adore about that league in terms of getting it wrong 
I think we're in the midst of it right now, and that is how many teams are going to be in the league. Mm. So we're currently at 28 teams. And by 2023, I think they're going to be up to 34. Right. Do you think 28 teams in the league is already enough? When you consider the Mars as well. Yeah. And then you're looking at it's expanding to 34. I think, right, how is that going to work? Are we going to split off into four different conferences? Um, Are we going to be able to play teams, all the teams? Or is it, I don't think they quite have realized how much of a logistical nightmare it could be. And for those who are listening who don't know MLS, you've got the Eastern and Western Conference at the moment. So you have 13 teams in each. I know there's 26 teams at the moment. No, it's not 28. Um, So you've got 13 teams in each league. I might get the things, I might get my numbers mixed up. Yeah, play 13 times. This season's really thrown me because of the COVID. Um, But yeah, you play each other in the same conference twice and then you play the other teams once and then you could end up traveling thousands of miles just for a game. You look at us, so we're on the East Coast and then our biggest trip is Vancouver Whitecaps over on the West Coast of Canada. Yeah. that's. And yes, there's Canadian teams in Major League Soccer, which is an American league. Just to add more to the confusion. Yeah. So, yeah. that, so I, I think the fact that we're adding more and more teams into this league is going to be a nightmare, and I wish we weren't going that far because I enjoy the fact that we can, with that we play all the teams. I know next season we're only supposedly only going to play ten of teams from the other conference. Mm. That annoys me quite a bit because it's just. I want to play every single team. Yeah. Because then you know that you're the best in the league. Whilst now it's going to be a case of you play the same conference teams, you know you're the best in that conference, but you only play the best of the other conference. But that best of the other conference could could have done really badly against the whole of the Eastern Conference. And it's just like, right, it's not a true showing of how good that league is. Let's go and get a flavour of what the fan experience is out there as well, actually. Um, I don't know if Google's yeah. been looking at what I've been typing, but I sent you a set of questions that I was going to ask for the show, <laughs> but then obviously it went on to YouTube yeah. and then suddenly videos pop up of American fans watching European matches, for example, for the atmosphere, for example. So I suppose yeah. what I wanted to do was you've been to Washington to go and see a match. Um how does the experience compare to the, yep. say, UK and just generally? Um, because I think we see a lot from TV, but we don't get a real flavour, really, to be fair, of that American experience. I can imagine what it'd be like, but I've never been myself. I've hmm. obviously seen a lot of baseball games, basketball games, you see that. Um, but yeah. yeah, what's the MLS sort of atmosphere in comparison to, say, the UK? So, for uh, straight off the bat, they're all about the tailgates. So, you see that in NFL, you see it at the baseball games, you see it at basketball. 
and any American sport. Uh, the tailgate is just one of those things which is just absolutely phenomenal. You, everyone gets together uh, now with the new stadium in DC, the Audi Field. They don't have like a parking lot, so you can't pull up in your pickup truck and pull a tailgate tailgate down and get your Barbie on. Now it's they're all gathered together at a center, or if it's one of the other support groups, they gather at a bar. But you get there, and you end up paying the entry fee, and that's like fifteen bucks, so not a huge right. amount. But what you get for that is you get all you can drink. Which is just insane. Because when you compare to the prices of drink out there in a normal bar, yeah, you could easily end up paying 15 bucks for one drink. So when you you get that, you go in there, they've got Heineken, they've got Lagunitas, they've got they've got Newcastle Brown Ale. Wow. That's seen wow. as exotic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is very strange to sort of see for us. But yeah, for yeah. them, it is. But the whole thing is you get together with a load of different, a load of fans, and you end up seeing some of the away fans as well. They usually come to these tailgates. So you're all congregating together. There's no, mm. there's no animosity between the fans. It's a whole jolly thing. So you, you've had your few drinks, you make your way over to the stadium. And that's usually an experience in itself because some supporters groups still have smoke grenades, flags waving, chants going on, and just to build up that atmosphere. You then get, when you get to the ground, Audi Field itself is strange because there's no kind of stewards. It's just you scan your barcode and you get into the ground. It's great. Makes things a lot quicker. Mm. And then you get there. They've got the pupusas, which is a food out there, um, which is a local delicacy. You've got all the different... The club shop, which is a bit strange because it's yeah, just a market imagine. stall. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind it's of like... typical American though, isn't it, right? It's like, okay. There is a proper, proper club shop, but that's but there's loads of different market stalls dotted around. Mm. Then the big difference for watching a soccer match in the States compared to watching a football match over here in the UK is the fact that you can take a beer into the stand, into the stands. Mm. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a whole thing about DC United and taking a beer into the support section. So whenever they score a goal, you throw your beer in the air. Right. Okay. So it's encouraged. It is encouraged. Encourage you not to throw your, uh, your can or your, uh, your plastic cup. But, but they encourage you to beer, throw your yeah. beer. And that, unfortunately, I've not yet to experience because the two matches I've been to see out there, <laughs> we've not scored a goal. So the curse continues, right? Yeah, so the first game I went out there, we got beat 2-0 against Philadelphia Union. And then the second game I went out there, we drew 0-0. So it's, the result's getting better. Mm. So the next time I'll get out there, Hopefully a draw, right? Thanks. It's going to be a win. It's going to be a win. Yeah, of course it's going to be a win. It's going to be a win. Let's be positive. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a win. On the point of fan experience then as well, this is something that I've kind mm. of seen from afar as well. On When it comes to soccer and 
yep. the fan hatred relationship amongst each other. You don't see that animosity that you see in Europe or in some of the big sort of mm. leagues around the world, I suppose. Yeah. And I, I know American fans, they can rub you the wrong way when it comes to your baseball yeah. or your basketball. How, why do you think that hasn't kind of transferred to soccer? Well, it has. Yeah. It just doesn't get shown over here because Major League Soccer, um, they do a whole what's called a rivalry week. And you look at some of the games, so you've got LAFC versus mm. LA Galaxy. Granted, that's a new rivalry, but already there is so much animosity in there. It's untrue. And when you look at some of the games, the first game, that happened, that was a 4-3 win to the LA yeah. Galaxy. And that was a comeback win. LA, LAFC were in the LA Galaxy's uh, Home Depot Center Stadium. And it was just like they were 3-0 up. So they were all like, yeah, we're obviously way better than you. We're the new boys. We're going to kick you out. Uh, we're going to dominate this league for years to come. And then Galaxy yes. with Zlatan Ibrahimovic he comes in and then scores this 40-yard strike out of nowhere. I was like, yep, okay, fine. That built up from there. Um, you've then you've then got some of the lo- other local rivalries, which you've got uh, Cincinnati and Columbus crew. Um, again, that's a new one, but there's already a good rivalry there. You've got, in terms of the historical rivalries, you've got us and New York Red Bulls. So they used to be called the New York, uh, the New Jersey Metro Stars, and we still absolutely <laughs> rip it into them because they don't play in New York, even though they're called New yeah. York. They play in a different yeah. state, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, and there, there is proper proper hatred. We even have chants about hating right, the Red okay. Bulls. So that it's one since where because. You don't really get it in Europe, and it's not massively televised mm. in Europe. Still, you just you just don't see it as much. If the games were better televised, so there's more on Sky Sports. I know pretty much most of the games are on Free Sports um, here in the UK. I think that that would be better, and it just needs more publicity behind it in other countries apart from mm. America. So it is there. It's just not well publicized. Yeah, and I suppose I don't know whether that opinion has come from my early years of seeing MLS because I think it was around mm. that David Beckham transfer to the LA Galaxy that we saw the yeah. kind of highlights equivalent show on Channel 5. I don't know if you recall it. Tim Lovejoy hosted it. And it oh, always yes. was a Mickey taking of MLS, but with kind yeah. of. I don't know, some seriousness. There was some, like, actually, this isn't a bad league. Yeah. Here's some decent goals. But it just wasn't, I suppose that's what I've just said. It wasn't taken serious enough. And, um, yeah. yeah, I suppose that's where that perception has come from. And I'm, I suspect that's a lot of people are still feeling like that. Yeah, in the, here in the UK, I know quite a lot of my mates who still call it a retirement league. And it's just like, 
I mean, granted, they're having the likes of Wayne Rooney going over there, Zlatan, Schweinsteiger, who are in their twilight years. It makes things difficult. But then you look on the flip side. Now you've got... The, so, you know yes. Alfonso Davies yeah. from Bayern Munich. Came from Vancouver yeah. Whitecaps. Um, another one of the Vancouver players has just signed for Lille. Um, Miggy Almiron of Newcastle. Came over from Atlanta United. Uh, and instead of bringing the talent over into Major League Soccer, it's becoming a hotbed yeah. of great talent. And we're bringing in players from Mexico who are young and hungry because they're recognizing now MLS is a, it's becoming a better league. And they want to be a part of growing that league and it's probably now seen as a good gateway over to Europe to get that big money move and become that much better player. I was going to say, on the flip side, we've had, I think it was around that kind of David Beckham kind of period, we started to see a lot of, in the UK, League 2, League 1 players jump abroad to kind of experience it, I suppose, more to the point, but also yeah. pit their wits against the likes of Beckham. Um one that springs to mind for me is Luke Rogers. I don't know if you recall him. Shrewsbury Town player. No, um, rings about. Did really well in the FA Cup run one year. And he got the move to, I think it was LA Galaxy, actually. Um, but then off the top of my head, Liam Ridgewell, an ex-Premier League player. Portland Timbers. Um, so Easy. He had a great career in MLS, actually. But... I was going to ask you, do you feel players that have come across like from the, that kind of level have also improved or enhanced those players in America or do you think it's hindered that development piece? It's a tricky one. I think when you've got that kind of experience of another country's way of playing, it can only be a benefit to that league. Um, and you look at from a sort of a national team level, you look at the likes of Brazil, who are one of the best teams, best nations in the world. They don't really pick that many players from their home nation. You, they're usually playing in Europe. So when you're bringing players from Europe over to Major League Soccer, you're bringing that experience of that style of play over to the States. And that that's a good thing. Obviously, the quality could be a bit mm. better. But I think now, over the last four or five years, the fact that we're bringing in a lot of Liga MX players, obviously we've had the likes of Wayne Rooney's Latsan uh, coming over. That's the kind of the big thing, the fact that we're bringing that kind of talent over to Liga. It's going to be great for the youth. Yeah. Their experience, their knowledge is going to rub off on them. That'll then keep getting passed down and it'll just bring on the talents for years to come so that's the thing I think it will be it'll leave a nice legacy for yeah. for the country I suppose the other thing I was going to bring up as a point was when I remember the first maybe gen of players that I remember recall being great talents for America and they came into Europe a lot of these players so the likes of Brian McBride Landon Donovan, for example, and I'm thinking even further back, Alexi mm. Lalas, um, 
they yeah. came over and were considered quite talented players. Right now, do you see that kind of same sort of development going on right now? Or is it kind of, because I know looking at the American national team, it's not in the same way as it used to be, shall we say? Um, so no. what, what do you pin that down to? What is it that's holding them back? Or Because clearly the talent is there. It's It's taking some time maybe to nurture and those players are obviously coming across. So, and like I think we've already stated with Alfonso Davies, obviously the big clubs are now starting to scout those leagues and start an understanding and set up that sort of scouting setup in America. So they clearly identify America as that potential hotbed. So what, what is it that's not working at a national level, do you think, for America? Um, so I've I've spoken with um, a few guys out there um, about it already. When they so a good few mates of mine who run one of the other DC United podcasts, um, when we were talking about it in the game, where I ended up waking up at half past two in the morning to watch the last game of the MLS's back on with DC, and they did a post game show, and we ended up talking about the national team and it feels like it's from the mm. top down. So you've got, things have changed recently, but you've had Greg Barhalt, who's the current head coach. His brother, I think was VP of US right. Soccer, who is wildly regarded as not being a, a great, great guy for the job. And he only got there because of his name. And I think what they've now realise there's actually the need to have some soccer knowledge up there. So they've got brought in Brian McBride as um, what they've called general manager. I don't know what his particular role is and what he does, but he's there. And they're starting to work out, actually, there's a way to do things. Um, and the style of play that they're bringing in is your tiki-taka kind of style of play. And they tried it in the last Gold Cup. It didn't really work out, but it was the first time they've done it. Okay. And now they're, they're using, obviously, like sort of Christian Pulisic. Um, they're bringing in, I think it was a Josh Sargent who plays in Germany. They're looking at those kind of players to really enhance yeah. the play. And I think they're going to really bring it on quite well because there's another thing that they've recently done um, which isn't going to happen straight away but over the next few years so they used to have a thing called the US um, Development Academy and that's where a lot of things like the Super Draft picks came from they used to go through that program they've scrapped that and now they've looked at academies okay. so like we do over here in the UK and throughout Europe clubs have a MLS, they have an academy team whether it's under 13s, 14s, so on and so forth. They're now bringing that in, and there's going to be over 7,000 teams in this program. So it's not just Major League Soccer sides, but you've got other local sides that are being a part of this program. When you've got that amount of teams, that's going to produce some talent, surely. You'd like to think so anyway. It sounds like a huge investment piece, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's it. It's it's going to take a while. It's not going to be something that they're going to see results straight away, but they've really got this massive focus on the 2026 okay. World Cup. 
which is their hosted between them, Canada, and Mexico. So they want to obviously do well. Um, and this whole thing about this academy situation, they're bringing that in ready to have players from now ready to play in yeah. that World Cup. And then, le- again, leave a, a lasting legacy of future American yeah. talent. And it'll be interesting to see what that actually develops into because I suppose, yeah, they're competing with a number of different countries around the world that are trying to do the same thing, right? They're all at different stages and their yeah. pathways. So, um, yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see if the MLS and America kind of develops those talents that we kind of start seeing as more ho- household names, perhaps. Um, yeah. yeah, so um be interesting from that point of view. My final question on this section, I suppose. How do you think the MLS can break through as a powerhouse? Because clearly the finances have always been there to an extent. The infrastructure is definitely there. You've just alluded to the fact that the academy piece is getting there. So there's clearly something that hasn't happened or hasn't gone to plan as maybe some people have thought. Um, but clearly the infrastructure and everything seems in place. So what do you think it's going to take before you see the MLS kind of considered a bit more seriously and become its same status as, say, La Liga, Premier League, Serie A, for example? So stop adding teams to the league because that would be nice. So stop expanding. But a massively controversial subject promotion and relegation mm. that's one thing all those other leagues you've just mentioned to have in common is this promotion and relegation and i don't think it'll ever happen but there's always talk of it every single season the big thing that it, the reason why it won't happen is these clubs have to enter a, a fee to enter mm. the league so they end up paying like 200 million dollars just to be able to go can we play in this league, please? Thank you. And then they've got to build their own stadium on top of that. So they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars for them just go turn around and go, yeah, you might get relegated though. Yeah. It's that's it's kind of, mm, it pains me a little bit. But as soon as they stop adding teams, settle this league down, whether they end up sticking with just Eastern and Western conferences or to do four different conferences to kind of even things out or however they play it they need to have a settled league because right now the expansion is it's great to see that the fact there's so many teams that want to play in this league that's obviously a good thing but until it becomes settled it won't progress as quickly as it should and and that's it because you're always thinking well who we which new team are we playing this week? It it becomes a bit more difficult, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm surprised they've actually made it even to 28 teams and it's just... Yeah, ugh. it's getting a bit... Like it's, it's lacking it, yeah. It's getting a bit much. Yeah, that's the thing. In this part of the show, I invite guests to bring a topic to discuss that they want debating. Here's what James brought to the podcast. So, James, what is the topic that the topic, you've chosen? Um, as we've already just 
previously mentioned is the salary cap and should it be introduced? This is the interesting question. So let me get your thoughts first because you did kind of briefly talk about it anyway. Um, yeah. Because I, I see the good points. I think it's going to bring a massive can of worms to the UK. Definitely. Yes. Uh, I think there's lots of people's opinions on what should actually happen rather than the salary cap. Um, I've got some interesting stats that I'll share with you as well. But yeah, hmm. from your point of view, you've already kind of mentioned about how successful it's been in the MLS. I can think of baseball where it's been really well, basketball. We don't sort of see it very much this side of the uh, continent, I suppose. And um, yeah, I don't know why that hasn't happened. Um, certainly from a lower level, it's always been craved in terms of English yeah. football. Um, and it seems like it's on the cusp of happening because we've got League One and League Two um, that have agreed in principle to introduce it. Um, oh, nice. So it's going to be interesting. It's not foregone conclusion, as you've seen by the successful results of the UEFA's FFP. So, um, yes. I think there's a, for me, it's the governance piece that's going to be the biggest thing around salary cap. But yeah, yeah. just take it away. I mean, salary cap, from your point of view, you feel it's going to be hugely beneficial. What are those points that you think we could learn from the MLS? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, the, you've got different um, rules behind the salary cap. So you've got that limit. I mean, obviously in the UK, that would be a lot of a much higher limit because in the UK, we can kind of afford it a bit more. But there needs to be where you've got your marquee players, which is the designated players in MLS. And... I just think it's it's one of these things where there needs to be a point where financial gain has to come into question. As you rightly said about the governance piece, Man City, who've recently gone through the FFP, got banned by UEFA, which is which is great, but then straight to the court of arbitration. Yeah, no, nah, it's fine actually, and it's kind of like, mm. yeah. So, I think for me, being able to not for not spending beyond your means, mm. that always has to be the the thing. Because if you spend beyond your means, you're going bust. It's business. Yeah. If you're gone, um, yeah. If you're just spending more money than you're bringing in, it. It's just, it's not going to end pretty. You're going to have upset fans. Clubs are going to go and do you look at, oh, it's not kind of like likes of Man City level, but you look at Bury. Yeah. One of the oldest clubs in the league, liquidated and gone. Obviously, they've come back, uh, but they haven't started mm. right from the very bottom. There needs to be something in place to stop that from happening. And the biggest expenditure is salaries. Yeah. And I agree. I think salaries have spiraled out of control. Um, if you consider the league that Wickham have just joined, the championship, we are probably on a budget that is comparable to a football signing rather than an actual wage. Um, yeah. And we will be the lowest budget in that league without a shadow of a doubt. 
Um, we're, we're, we're talking about clubs like Derby County, for example, who have probably, and it's been anticipated that they are actually got a wage bill of around 30 mil, for example. Now, they're not even in the Premier League. They're not yeah. even at that step where they're attracting those kind of big names yet. I mean, granted, they've got Wayne Rooney, right? And they've had Ashley Cole previous season. Yeah. But that's the kind of level we're talking about is how scary is it at that level? And then if we drop down a few leagues, so I've got a few comparisons for you. So yeah. Bradford City, for example, they are now in League Two. The season yeah. they got relegated to from League One, sorry, to League Two. Do you want to hazard a guess of what their budget, playing budget this is, was for a season? Ooh. Let's go for a wild guess and say 750,000. Yeah. A bit higher. Two mil? Higher. Four mil. Correct. Four million pounds for a team that got relegated from League One to League Two. That must be some really bad signings there. This. For anyone that wants to have a look, there's an article by the Yorkshire Post <laughs> where Stuart McCall has basically said he's in or not in favour of the salary cap for a number of different reasons. Um, but that kind of highlighted to me a scary moment of where the hell are they spending £4 million a season on players that couldn't keep them up? In League One, four million. Yeah, that was scary for me. Let's yeah. put it another way as well. Sunderland, our favourite team on this show so far. How much do you want to hazard a guess? As this is reported, yeah. bear, in, bear in mind. So it's not one hundred percent confirmed, but I heard it from another podcast. Do you want to hazard a guess of how much their wage bill is? Oh, Four season again. Oh, I'm probably going to say nine, ten mil. Higher, again. really? Yeah. Twelve. Higher. Fifteen. Again, higher. <laughs> what? Twenty. Yeah, twenty mil. This bear in mind, they've been taken over by Stuart Donaldson or Donald, should I say? Sorry. Um, highlighted on the great show on Netflix. I was mesmerized when I heard that quoted. Now, I say quoted amount because I can't confirm that that, that is definitely the sum, but I was just like gobsmacks. I mean, granted, they had Aidan McGeady like not so long ago. Yeah. But to be paying still around 20 mil. What's, like, what's his face? Who? Uh, Jack Rodwell. <laughs> yes. I think he was on like £80,000 a week in League One. Do you know what's scary about it? I still feel they probably are paying the mistake of those previous seasons and that's probably still yeah. being counted for in the wage bill. So yeah. potentially what they're actually spending on their current group of players is possibly a lot less. Yeah. However, they are probably still paying for the previous regime's yeah. ill expenditures. I don't know. I just... That's a lot of money. So I suppose just to put that point across now, so we've got the salary cap potentially being agreed on. It will enable clubs like Accrington Stanley, yeah. for example, to be on a level playing field as your Sunderland's, for example. Yeah. The argument that I've seen banded about is it's unfair on a club like Sunderland, for example, because they get X amount more supporters through their gates. 
Yeah. They therefore create greater revenue. They can afford to pay those players a higher wage. And as a result, they feel that they would lose the talented players they've got and struggle to bring in players because of the wage restriction. Do you feel that's a valid argument? Because I know certainly yeah. from a PFA point of view, it seems to be the case that going for around what is right for player. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, and that's one of the things that in Major League Soccer, I think they've kind of nailed down because they've got this whole draft system. And the it's weird because the, the, it's been brought up like that. The player loyalty um, isn't quite there as it, is over here in the UK. So you get your one club man and things like that over here in the UK and yeah. Europe and all all that jazz. Whilst in the States, the kind of the way they work it is they will have what's called a re-entry draft. They'll have the super draft. Um, they'll have the waiver draft. And those players will then get picked up by other teams, players that, that the clubs don't want. Mm. But in essence, the club still has the opportunity to say no to an offer. They don't have to say yes to it. Um, and another way they've managed to get around it in America is they've called it Garber money because the commissioner of Major League Soccer is called Don Garber. But he brought in something called allocation money, so whether it's general allocation money or targeted allocation money. General allocation money will allow you to overspend on the salary to bring it down and then bring it down in line by using this fake money as such. Um, it becomes quite confusing. Um, but for example, if I'm spending £12,000 a week on a player and I need to make it down to 8000 I can spend so-and-so amount of money for the season to bring it down to what should be eight thousand, but the player still gets paid twelve. Okay. So you could use something like that. So you could take influence from Major League Soccer in that sense, and then apply that to the football league. I don't know how they would work it, but that would still allow the clubs like Sunderland to have those better players, but then still have a level kind of more of a level playing field across the other clubs because mm. they could then use that money to try and trade for other players to bring in and it it becomes more of a, a might even more of a business thing because you're trying to put the pieces together it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle and you're trying to make things fit it becomes a little bit more entertaining yeah certainly i, I think way they've kind of worded this kind of introduction of salary cap is to help clubs survive during this COVID period. I, yeah. And I know it's it's not a topic we want to talk a lot about, but in the grand scheme of things right now, it's really precious that we have that kind of football club still being able to survive because certainly in the UK, these clubs that we talk about, like Berry, for example, yeah. they, they are those community clubs they're not just a franchise they're not yeah. your big class players uh, and it's it's disheartening to see kind of 
I suppose, the results of what's happening in the Premier League where there seems to be that disconnect between fans and the clubs themselves. Yeah. Um, but we we do need to get to a point where it's properly financed, it's properly governed. And yeah, I, my opinion is it's part of it. The needs, it's not just the salary cap itself. It, it's also the governance around how clubs are managed because for as many bad owners there are there's so many good owners out there as well that are doing the right things um interestingly i suppose how the seasons have ended in each of those leagues for example so in league one which wickham were part of obviously we gained from the p uh promotions per or points per game aspect and that ruffled a few feathers because a lot of clubs felt that Wickham shouldn't be in a position that we were in. Um, but it also highlighted actually that kind of element of it meant a lot more to those bigger clubs for them not to get promoted that season. So you started to see your Ipswiches, for example, yeah. and Sunderland really case that they we shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be there. And because actually... It was more costly to them, to those clubs, actually, yeah. if they didn't go up. And it'll be interesting to see how this pans out because right now we're in a place where I'm fearful that if salary cap does go its way, would we see a Bosman-like ruling come into place because a player is not happy at the way it's being done, for example. Mm. Now, I'm not saying suggesting it would happen, but certainly it's got that feeling from the PFA point of view that they're pushing for that to happen um what, what's your thoughts on that so from a player point of view i think again looking at from the mls point of view they've they don't see many issues from a player point of view in terms of the salary side of things um i i, I struggle to see how a player could essentially be unhappy with it because I think I know this sounds hypothetical and wishful thinking, but they should be thankful that they're in this kind of job. You'd like to think so. You'd, You'd like to think so. They're they're gonna most of most players will be earning a lot more than your average Joe. Yeah, they've got to be thankful for to be able to do that. I mean, granted, it's quite a short career. But that shockery could still end up leading to coaching positions and things like that further beyond. Um, so, yeah, so they should be thankful that they're able to do something that they love because not everyone can actually do that. And they just need to be re- players need to be realistic about these things. I think the fact that this cap has been in for so long in MLS, players are used to it. Um, because if they do bring it in over here, it's going to be a huge change. People are going to be unhappy with it, but give it a couple of seasons, give it a few years, people will get used to it. It's just the change aspect, and not everyone is receptive to change, but generally speaking, change doesn't happen unless it's for the right reason. Mm. Unless you're the government and you bring in masks too late. (laughs) 
we'll try not to uh, dwell too much on uh, how we've been doing during that period. Um, but yeah, certainly on that point, I think it's, it's a can of worms in that sense of, yeah. do you know what? We're going to have a lot of counter arguments. I think if we go back a step as well, I think there's genuinely, there's plays in your league ones and twos that don't actually earn as much as your Premier League counterparts no. and even your championship counterparts. Um, so I think there's there has to be some reasonable capping in terms of what's survivable in terms of the wages that is being set there as well. Yeah. Um, you could, what would happen, you know? You could got, even do it as, instead of being a set wage limit, I mean, I think it's already in places, it's a set percentage. Mm. But it needs to be much better governed because it's... You don't see much happening. Um, financial fair play, it gets appealed, it then gets overturned. And it just, it makes a whole nonsense about why we, why do we have FFP in the first place right now? This is my point. I think FFP, if anything, it's highlighted that we haven't got it right. We still are, we're struggling with the concept of governance around yeah. that really is a big piece around governance because I seem to recall hearing uh, something around the idea of how can auditors go into clubs and, you know, just check how a club is being run when club owners are just saying, no, you can't come in. Yeah. Because you're, you know, rightly so, you know, they're saying you're not associated with anything that we've set. So therefore we're not letting you have a look. That's, you know, from a fan's perspective, feels like you're hiding something. Yeah. But on the flip side, if you're an owner that actually is doing the right things, why would you want someone else coming around causing mischief? And, you know, um, you know I suppose it's that more that media piece as well these days as well is you see investigations happening. So therefore, your club then suddenly gets slandered. Yeah. Because, you know, it, that's more powerful, isn't it, these days? It seems to be that social media age where we're living in right now, that that happens very quickly. Yeah. And I suppose that can hurt clubs. They could get around it rather than doing a random thing, which would make things a little bit better because it's random and it's spot checks. But at the end of every season, every club has to submit some kind of papers to show what they're spending Granted, you're going to get clubs who will try to hide stuff and all this, but to try and, again, make it a level playing field and fair for everyone, that would be, in my eyes, the best way of doing it is at the end of the season, everyone does it at the same time. Yeah. But then you avoid the media plague of this investigations going on and things like that. I think, going off that point as well, the EFL haven't dealt very well with the likes of Sheffield Wednesday for example, that have been deducted a point yes. deduction for the this coming season. Yeah, that should have when happened last there's season. There's a few arguments about last season. Derby County were in a similar sort of spate. Yep. And then you had that comparison around Wigan Athletic. They've gone into administration because the owners were careless. They didn't care about the club, yep. in essence, and just decided to put them into administration without any thought process. And I think the way the EFL have dealt with that, for example, doesn't fill the rest of the clubs with a lot of confidence around this salary cap piece. Yeah. 
for me, something that sprung into my head is actually we should be talking about minimum wage here where actually let's reverse it. So if we're saying salary cap is X amount, actually you can't pay a player lower than this amount, for example. So yeah. like for me, if we talk about nurses and doctors, for example, I feel like generally in the UK, we should be, they should be earning 30,000 a year. Oh, as a and, minimum. and the rest, to be honest, yes, to my eyes. Yeah. For what they've done recently, yeah. you know, and how they've had to deal with the situation, they deserve a lot more. But in essence, they don't. They really don't. And um, I suppose if we talk about it in that way, potentially a salary cap could be beneficial because we're saying, actually, club, you cannot pay this player less than this amount because yeah. that's not feasible. That's not sustainable for both you and the player. And we know, like you've just said, players have short lives in terms of their football career. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's something to look forward to because, you know, we're lucky enough, I suppose, you and me, we've got a pension to look forward to. I, yeah. I'm not even thinking about that right now, but yeah. just to put a point across, again, those players potentially don't have a pension unless they subscribe to a PFA scheme or yeah. other outside kind of pension schemes. So, Again, this is about their security outside of football as well. So salary cap, I don't know if that's been talked about, but certainly I haven't seen anything talks about a minimum kind of application for this. No, and that is actually something that does happen in Major League Soccer as well. So there is a minimum wage that you can give to a player, which off the top of my head... So there's different types of contracts. You've got the reserve contract... Uh, which I think is £850 a week, which yeah. is a nice amount. And then there's what's called the senior minimum salary, which is tend to be your, your depth plays in your roster. Um, there's another American term for you, roster. Yeah, roster. Um, and that, if I remember rightly, that is £1,100 a week. Okay, so still very sustainable. Yeah. And then then you get the senior contracts, which can be anything. Um, and that's generally the types of contracts you'll use with uh, the allocation money. Then you got your DP contracts, which is your to count something towards the salary cap, but they can be whatever they need to be. Mm. So you, there is the minimum wage over in the states, and they have what's called um, the collective bargaining agreement, which sets out loads of different rules and what the players get. So that's things like the pension scheme. Um, weirdly, uh, chartered flights because apparently they've got to have a limit on how many chartered flights they're allowed to take. Don't know why that is in there, but uh, there you go. Um, looking after players if they've picked up certain injuries, and yeah, I mean, the, the, there is the acronym of the CBA, so you kind of be bothered to read it. Agreements. <laughs> Which is how I always see it whenever I see it, acronyms. I'm like, oh, I kind of, oh, yeah, it's actually a collective bargaining agreement rather than, yeah. But, and what I also love about the salary cap and how they do it over in the States is every single wage is publicized. Yeah. So you can see how much Wayne Rooney earns in 2019. You can see how much Carlos Vela earns last year. And I think that's. Mm. That shows the transparency behind it, and I think that's something that over here we could use a bit of is a bit of transparency. 
I suspect, though, when we're talking about your Premier League clubs, they're unlikely to want to share this kind of information. Um, oh, no. But if but we're talking from a financial point of view, definitely, I think that's what needs to happen. Because the amount of shady tactics that happen, you look, again, Man City, that they've used to try and get around this FFP. Yep. If the transparency is there, they can't hide from it. So I think the other points that I'd say, and it kind of builds on that sort of elusiveness aspect, is should wages of agents be capped as well? Because that, for me, annoys me greatly when you see the Riolas, Chocherim, I think it was before, Pini Zavi, those yeah. kind of characters that sort of seem to get X amount of millions and you know Raiola he seems to be signing up yep. loads of players left right and centre and he's building this kind of power piece around and he's probably worth billions right now Yeah, and from this empire of being an agent right now I'd scrap scary. agents this is the thing isn't it I'd, I'd get Why rid do of clubs, agents for example like Man United for example they're yeah. really bad at this they will splash out the cash yep. like I think it was Pogba, wasn't it? Over 20 million for Raiola's services yeah. just to get him signed up. Yeah. That's crazy. Just to get a player to sign up for a club, that shouldn't be happening, but it is happening. And that's where the money's leaving the game, essentially. I know yeah. it is Man United's idea. It's down to them how they want to use their money. Yeah. And, you know, that's their own business. But when you hear like players getting slated, actually, there's a lot more that's going out of the game through different things like agents, for example. Yeah. And yeah, for me, that's another piece that needs to be looked at. Yeah. Like I said, I'd get rid of agents altogether. And I mean, I, I could see whether, why they use, because you've got all the things like image rights and all that jazz to look through, but hire a lawyer to do that part of it. Agents are literally there just to throw names into a hat and see what comes out if a player can't look after themselves in that aspect, what what can they look after? This is the thing, I suppose, speaking from a Wickham Wanderers perspective, we yeah. had an old player called Paul Hayes. Um, now, it's interesting, he had an interview uh, with a podcast and he actually, after football, went into becoming a football agent, got the licence, yeah. but absolutely hated the company that he worked for and he quit be being an agent. And what he said was in the podcast was he was being used as a pawn, essentially. He was right. being used as a player to entice or a person being that person to entice those players to sign up with the agency off the back of that. It was supposed to create that kind of piece around, look, you, you, I'm looking after you because I used to be a player. You can trust me. We know each other. X, Y, and Z, but actually he hated it because they thought he would generate different kinds of clientele, um, different kinds of ways of doing agency, which they didn't see eye to eye, so they parted their separate ways. Interestingly enough, he also spoke, spoke about his experiences as being a footballer. Yeah. So he's based from Essex, as far as I understand, but actually he spent a lot of his career up north. So Barnsley, for example, uh, Scumthorpe is where he 
pretty much is more known for. Um, he had that good spate where, or spell, should I say, where he carried them, I think, to the championship level with Nigel Atkins as the manager at the time. So, um, yeah, he, he talk he talks quite a lot about the fact of that time was where he had a number of different agents, some that didn't care about his well-being and others that really that he's had he had to the last days of playing football where they actually cared about him and that's how he ended up for example Wickham Wonders because actually Wickham Wonders weren't paying him a great wage but actually he trusted the club he'd known about the club he saw how things were done so it's interesting that actually there's like life you're going to come across really bad people and there's yeah. actually some decent agents out there as well um but yet again, I still feel that's a piece that should be capped, especially when it comes to Premier League players yeah. and you know abroad as well. It seems to be an area that, yeah, I, I just feel like there's other places where that money needs to be really governed a lot better. No, oh, absolutely. The other point I wanted to make is, should there be actually a better piece around club sustainability? So salary cap is definitely one part of it. But actually, like you've said about accounts being transmitted and put into like a seasonal piece that's being audited properly, I think there's a piece around how much of a percentage of your profits are being used for play expenditures or budget, for example. Because mm. like we've used the example of Sunderland, Derby, for example, they're spending a hell of a lot of money and that's on the gamble of trying to go back up to those like yourselves, like Millsborough, trying to get back into the Premier League. So again, there's that piece of yeah. actually, should we be saying to clubs, actually, you can only use 60% of your turnover as a playing budget, no more than that. You know, you can still run at a loss at the end of the year, but actually, is this sustainable because you've got that 40% to be used against those losses potentially yeah it's it's a tricky one because if the gamble works then is there any repercussions for that this is the thing right yeah we saw you look QPR at Wolves, really go to town with that didn't they yeah the Wolves as well they, they brought in Neves yeah how a, cha- a Champions League captain into a championship side and you're thinking and he's a, a wonder kid on FM and you're thinking that shouldn't that a Rui Patricio as well was there and you're thinking they're signing all these Portuguese legends yeah they're in the championship and th- thankfully for them the gamble paid off so they didn't see any repercussions, uh, repercussions on that but surely even if they the gamble works. There's got to be some something in there that says you start the next season on a points deduction because you've overspent on trying to get there. And that should then stop that from happening and then become a bit more of a level playing field and increase the competition that way. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You'd like to think so, but I think we're still hanging on this piece of the EFL they can't yeah. govern, govern it properly. And I, yeah, it worries me a bit. It does worry me in terms of, yeah, we, we could see signs of improvement with this salary cap piece. 
But I don't, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to solve it show, today. But uh, at least we've put the no. points across, I suppose. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, absolutely. in its essence, we're saying it's a good thing. It definitely needs to happen. But actually, yeah. it's the governance piece that needs really addressing. It's how it's addressed. Absolutely. Thanks to James for giving up the time to interview for the podcast. If you'd love to hear more from James and DC United, search for DC United Kingdom on YouTube. I'll drop the link in the descriptor. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to be a part of the show, email me at thehopelesswanderpodcast at gmail.com. 